My name's Bond. James Bond. Is he? Are you? Yes. And I'm Dick Tracy, and you're still under arrest. But James, I need you. So does England. If you take life, do you know what you give? I'll die, you won't like what it is. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. It's the Neverland Podcast 40 Years Celebration with special appearances by Paul Berry of A Window to the Magic, Scott Tracy and Mortis from Disney, Indiana, Tim Nidell and Gary Lane from Saturday Morning Rewind, Network 1901's Dale Wentland, from Who Did That Voice, Trenton Larkin, Techno Retro Dads Jedi Shua and Shaz Bazaar. Join us now in celebration of 40 years of Star Wars, where we... What? Not... Not... Not Star... It's... It's Jeremy's 40th birthday. Oh, well, that's different. So you're telling me I wore my Jedi robes for nothing, then? I'm in the recording studio with... No, no, forget it! I'm out of here! Bye! Yes, take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Grab your happiest thoughts, sprinkle some of that pixie dust around, and take a flight with us to Neverland once again. And I hope you enjoyed that brief little tribute to Roger Moore and Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell, of course, who performed the song for Casino Royale of the James Bond series. Although it wasn't a Roger Moore movie, it fits. Chris Cornell, also very well known for fronting the band Soundgarden. Uh, so, quick little tribute to them. Uh, but we, otherwise, other than that's kind of sad news, we have lots of fun today. So, we're bringing, of course, our good friend, Eric Warren. Eric Warren. Oh, I was waiting for my theme song. Eric, 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 Eric Warren. Eric Warren. You mean that theme song? Yes. <laughs> Of course, I can't hear it because somebody's got headphones on around here. Well, you know, we can't have feedback happen. I mean, that would just oh, be, heavens. you know, Uh-oh. that would just be terrible. <laughs> hey, but you know what? It's not about me today. You know what? Today is one of those fantastic, you know, we got to get out and celebrate kind of days. Wow. You know, 40 years. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. You know, with everything that has happened, everything that has come to represent who we are and what we represent man that 40 years is just absolutely amazing and we've come this far i didn't think my life had that much of an impact um what huh uh that's why we're throwing this party you know 40 years oh um yeah yeah you did mention that last week didn't you yeah 40 years of of it's my 40th birthday oh well, um, right. So I'm glad yeah. you think I've made such a cultural impact in my 40 years of life. That's very flattering. Uh, 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 sh- sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah. I mean, because what else has gone on for 40 years? I mean, you know, exactly at about this time. I mean, <laughs> I can't think of anything at else at all. Really? I mean, oh, oh sorry. I didn't mean to set that off. Oh, was that was that a lightsaber? 
What might have been. Why do you have a lightsaber with you? Um, because it's fun. Well, yeah, of course, <laughs> it's fun, <laughs> right? Well, um, well, while we're setting up for the party, though, uh, you know what? We really got to make a trip over to the trailer park before all of our guests arrive. Um, uh, yeah, 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 let, let, let's, uh, yeah, let's head on over there. The Neverland Trailer Park. Finally, here we go. Good evening, Peter. Oh. You have 576 possible web shooter combinations. That is awesome. I can keep that suit? Yeah. Doesn't fit me. So when's our next retreat? What, next mission? We'll call you. All right. That's not a hug. I'm just grabbing the door for you. We're not there yet. All right, kid. Good luck out there. Hey, Peter. You coming tonight? I can't tonight. I got the Stark internship. What's up, guys? Mr. Stark, here's my report for tonight. I stopped the Grand Theft Bicycle. Hey, could you do me a favor? Hold on to that. Does anybody fight? Oh, I helped this old lady and she bought me a churro, so that was nice. I just feel like I could be doing more. Wait a minute. You guys aren't the real Avengers. Hulk gives it away. New move I'm working on? Not bad. Oh, God, this feels so strange. Oh. These weapons are crazy dangerous. Listen, Peter, there are people who handle this sort of thing. Can't you just be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Parachute. The world's changing, boys. It's time we change, too. This is my chance to prove myself. We have a Spanish quiz. You gotta get better at this part of the job. I don't understand. Yeah. Oh. I'm intimidating. Oh, hey, yes. <laughs> my friends are there. Hey, where are you going? What are you hiding, Peter? I'm just kidding, I don't care. Bye. There's a ton of other subsystems in here, but they're all disabled by the training wheels protocol. I'm sick of Mr. Stark treating me like a kid. But you are a kid. Yeah, a kid who can stop a bus with his bare hands. New guy, who's that? Underoos! That's my cue, I gotta go. I got a fight with Captain America and I stole his shield and I threw it at him. At him. What the hell? He's big now, I gotta go. It was the most amazing thing that's ever happened. So Mr. Stark was like, hey, Underoos! And I just sort of flipped in. Hey, just a second! Coming! Hey! We have thin walls here. The rich and the powerful. They don't care about us. We have to pick up after them. We have to eat their table scraps. These alien bastards are tough. You gotta use the stuff they use. The world's changing. It's time we change too. So what's our next retreat? What, next mission? We'll call you. Take it a little more mentoring. Could be a real asset to the team. That's not a hug. I'm just grabbing the door for you. Oh, all right, good. Good luck out there. Someone is collecting stuff from Avengers battles and building these crazy weapons. This is my chance to prove myself.
What if somebody had died tonight? Different story, right? Because that's on you. I wanted you to be better. Eight years without any trouble from those bozos up in Stark Tower. Man, this little bastard in red tight shows up. And he thinks he can tear down everything I built. I've got a plane full of brand new Avengers weaponry to load up. We're gonna put them out of business. We're gonna take everything they got. You're not gonna stop me. Do you know him too? Yeah, still a shield. Well, holy cow. Yes. <laughs> we got two trailers for Spider-Man Homecoming all in one day. And oh my gosh, am I ever super excited now. <laughs> what did we do to deserve this? I had a birthday. That's what it was. Happy birthday, oh, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I turn 40 and I get two awesome trailers and two different trailers. Well, you know, a domestic one and even an international one. And they had completely different footage. Oh, my gosh. So we learn a little bit more about the Vulture and Adrian Toomes. Of, uh, apparently, he's been working on some group that's been kind of cleaning up after Avengers battles. And he's been getting some of the Avengers technology and some alien technology and using that to build weapons that are now out on the streets. And, of course, building his flight suit, uh, his wings, which, you know, a little different from the uh, the magnetic ones that uh, the Vulture first had in the comic books. But uh, this is very cool because it almost looks like a Quin- he's got a Quinjet on his back with with different kind of things going on. Yeah, what can I say? That Both of those trailers were just absolutely terrific. And they both tell, uh, give two different sides to what this movie is going to be all about. Uh, you know, but the one thing that I really picked up on is it seems to carry on the theme from that Marvel one shot, the 47, where you had people going around and collecting the Tory weapons and using them themselves. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. I, I don't think I've seen that. Was that was that a one shot on one of the uh, the Blu-ray releases? Yeah, I don't remember which one it was with. Uh, I know it was post Avengers, so uh, probably Iron Man three, perhaps. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've looked at all the special features on my Iron Man 3 copy, and I know I'm, I'm still missing. I don't have uh, uh, the second Thor movie, and I don't have Ant-Man in my collection yet, so it might be on one of those as well. It's hard to oh, keep up. I know up. it's not that late. <laughs> I, I know it's not that late because they. Uh, I think the last one that they actually produced was on, um, oh golly, I don't even remember what release it was, but uh, it was about the Mandarin, or Trevor, uh, in right. prison. That's, yeah. That was the last one, and it's been quite some time. Yeah, Anyhow, I don't know if I ever saw that one, but hmm. but again, you know, I think they're doing what criminals in this world would do if suddenly we've got access to uh, technology just laying around that was not collected after a battle. Yeah, and uh, I like how they really are developing almost a feud that Adrian Toomes might have with Tony Stark, uh, which really does kind of lend to where Stark might be telling Peter, you know what, let us deal with that. This guy has an issue with me, you know, that kind of thing, and you're just this kid. And I love the little bit with him and Ned there, like where they're trying to get into some sort of certain system, and there's a training wheels protocol. (laughs) So keep Peter (laughs) out of things. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's going to be very interesting because you kind of, it looks like you definitely have a mentor thing going on, 
but also that little bit of, well, he's this kid, and so I don't really trust him, and then Peter Parker trying to prove himself, but maybe he's going to go too far and show his inexperience. But yet, you know, that responsibility, that, that, that all the things we love about Peter Parker that makes him a good Spider-Man, I, I, it's going to come shining through there at the end of it from the look at this. And I am getting very excited for this movie. This looks awesome. Oh, yeah. Yes, it does. Can't wait. Oh, yes. Oh, but you know what? I think I understand what happened with this 40 years thing. Isn't, isn't this the 40 year anniversary of Star Wars? Yeah, it is. Um, and I guess that kind of overshadowed everything. Golly, and I, I only wrote 40 years on the invitation. Gosh, I, I hope everybody... Oh, well, hey, I, I think somebody's arriving. Let's go check out who it is. All right. I hope Jeremy appreciates that I'm bringing my famous Wookiee-flavored popcorn. I don't appreciate it. It's always a bit chewy. Behave yourself, you two, or I'll get Jessica to set up a timeout room for you here in Neverland. Why, it's Scott, Tracy, and the Mortis from Disney, Indiana. I'm so glad you guys can make it to my 40th party. I still think a Star Wars party should be celebrated at the Main Street Cinema, watching the entire saga. Don't make me agree with you. I love a good Star Wars party. Yeah, me too. Only... Oh, never mind. Well, looky here, Jedi Schwa and Shaz Bazaar from Techno Retro Dads. Hey, that's a nice Hondu costume you wear in Shaz Bazaar, uh, but I really don't see how you can talk in that. But anyways, can you guys believe it? I hardly believe it myself. 40 years! Man, I remember seeing Star Wars in the theaters back in 77. Well, that's definitely a year that changed pop culture history, uh, but I'm more concerned about the fact that I... Look, Shaz, there's a cereal buffet. (laughs) There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. was very much into the the idea of a, of a person in constant rage and rage creates pain emotional and physical pain so the image that I that that came to me was this one of a wounded bull into the arena like when you see those bulls that are have the, the sword on their back and they are bleeding and they are into the arena, which is a horrible image. That's what inspired me to bring, uh, to take to my character like, in the way he would move and the way he would talk and breathe this uh, wounded bull. Javier is such a kind of an original, very imaginative, detailed actor. He's kind of created an archetype. There's, there's no stereotype or easy way out. So you actually are intrigued by this character because you realize the the quest for revenge is driven by an intense rage at least in in this franchise what what makes them so interesting the the villains is that 
uh, of course they have a physical appearance that's intriguing uh, they have a, a great story but they all always also carry a pain inside of them that makes them human I think and we we recognize the, the person behind all the all the horrible features uh, and that makes uh, makes them very intriguing and interesting all right so we took the time to go see Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales yesterday. Uh, some of the nicer things about it, uh, going through a little bit of the cast, I've got to give credit, and the reason why I chose this particular video that you just heard over the typical trailer I normally would play is because it talked about Javier Bardem's uh, portrayal of Captain Salazar and featured also Jeffrey Rush playing C Captain Hector Barbosa again, which are the best two things about this movie. Well, I like the end. Well, yeah, they had some good stuff at the end, too. But they're still, as far as characters, I mean, it was pretty well acted, but, you know, the whole Jack Sparrow thing has already gotten old already. But anyways, with me, of course, is... The Windy Nerd? Yes, Pixie Windy Nerd. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, because we... Yeah, you haven't been on in a long time. My goodness. No, I've been... I lost in thesis land. Yes, but now you're back from thesis land, so you'll be able to help out with some of these movie reviews and with the show a lot more. Uh, but overall, I mean, it, it is a fun movie, uh, It is, you know, but it's typical with the Pirates movies. They're kind of a little over the top and fun and just goofy, and so it's entertaining, but it's something I think uh, I would have waited for Netflix for this. Uh, we ended up going to a 3D showing, and it does look very good in 3D. Yeah, it does. Uh, it so, does. you know, it's you know, it was a vision, and a lot better than the last Pirates movie. I saw that in 3D, but that was back when the 3D technology was everything was flat surfaces that were just kind of brought out to you. But now with this real 3D, everything—I mean, you got texture and everything. It 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 really does. The sharks actually come out at you, like yeah. it, they really do. Well, it's not just that. I mean, it's you're you're more immersed inside. You know, the people look a little more real uh, as they're out there. Uh, now, the other side of that, though, was because the movie is very dark in color, especially at the beginning where they're setting up the story. Everything is happening at night. Like it's very dark. And with the 3D glasses on, it is hard to see. So there were some details, like I didn't capture. What was the Silent Mary or something like that was one of the ships. And I couldn't tell, even though yeah. they flashed And even they made a joke off of one of them, like the uh, Wounded Gull or something, I guess. I finally caught the name of yes. the ship later. But there's a, a joke that kind of we missed because we couldn't see the name of the uh, boat when mm -hmm. they it was finishing one of Jack Sparrow's sentences. And it's supposed to have been funny. Yeah. Um, and this does have a lot of good funny moments uh, in it, and I, you know, I, I'm sure many people, and I haven't seen it on Facebook, there's people who've been enjoying it, uh, and overall, I think I would have enjoyed it except for these really bad criticisms that I, I, I made a list. And I, I don't, if, if there's something I've missed, you can fill in some details. And this is one that you you kind of had brought up. I was able to go with this because I thought the whole scene was funny. But at the beginning, you have a team of horses that is pulling a bank, entire bank. Yes. Around the town, which it, it, it leads for some great jokes. There's even I loved uh, Jack Sparrow. It's like, um, pardon me. I you know, have you seen my bank? I seem to have lost my bank. And the bank goes by. He goes, oh, there it is. Uh, but the, the problem is, not only is that unbelievable, but of course, you know, you get that in a pirates movie. You have some unbelievable things that happen, but you just kind of roll with it a lot of times. But it seemed completely unnecessary because Jack, this supposedly impenetrable vault 
Jack Sparrow is already inside it. Now, it's funny that he's fallen asleep inside there and actually mm-hmm. with the mayor's wife, which the mayor, uh, let me just jump out here, the mayor played by Bruce Spence. I want to point him out because he's a face you've seen many times, but you may not know why. Uh, he's in it's Star Wars. Wh- covered up. Yeah, he's uh, in makeup a lot, but he was in uh, the, the last two Matrix movies. He was in Star Wars Episode Three on uh, the planet of Ultra Power. He's the one who goes and talks to Obi-Wan there and says <laughs> they were being washed. You know, he's he's been a lot of different things, but never hugely prominent other than uh, Legend of the Seeker the series he played Zed mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. different roles even in Finding Nemo he is uh, what did chum. I just say chum, chum one of the sharks because he's from New Zealand yeah. so the mayor being played by him it's funny that inside the vault and I, I'm, I'm trying not to spoil too much but you've probably seen this uh, it's a little bit it's it's one of the jokes but it's funny that Jack Sparrow is in there with his wife but here's the thing if Jack Sparrow is in the vault why do you need to yank it out by horses and end up pulling the entire building away can't Jack have been cleanly and able to, or, or at least somebody, if you can get into the vault, mm-hmm. clean out the vault and get out before anyone knows you've done it? Wouldn't that make sense to me? Yeah. That bothers me. Well, and even the, we know that there's going to be some unbelievable stunts and things like that that are being pulled in this parts of the Caribbean, you know, franchise, or not really franchise, but these series, but it has to be somewhat believable. Yeah. In order for you to buy it. And this was just a little bit too unbelievable. Yeah. That was even necessary. It wasn't. Yeah. It's just silly. And it was done just for the spectacle, really. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, pulling the entire building didn't seem to be part of the plan. Grabbing the vault was. But you don't need to grab the vault if you can get inside it and clean it out before anyone knows you're there. Yeah. So, and clearly that was an option. Next thing, uh, they they really tried too hard to uh, with the the modern area where we're, we're trying to have strong female characters, and that's that's all fine and good. But when you try too hard to do it, it gets really annoying. And let me put out some of the things of where they went over the top and made it stupid. So Corinne, who is this female character, and is okay. So she studied some science. I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be, and she's gotten to study things somewhere. But must have been on her own because uh, you know, a lot of times you know they wouldn't get the good schooling. So she, but she's learned some stuff. Well, at one point she goes into a science shop and she's wanting to look through a telescope. Uh, the owner of the telescope and the, the scientific shop comes in and she says, "Oh, hey, you you were off by a few degrees." And she's talking in scientific terms to this guy, but he instantly thinks she's doing witchcraft. I'm sorry, wouldn't he have understood the science that she was talking? Why does that go to witchcraft? That doesn't even make sense. Now, if you had a bunch of characters that knew nothing of science and she starts talking science and they just didn't know what she's talking about, they might have been like, oh, witchcraft. That would have been funny then. But to have a scientist who should understand what she said, that doesn't even make sense. You're just trying to make some sort of, oh, she's being oppressed by the men. And when you, when you try that hard, you just make it stupid. And it keeps going. They, yeah. The over-cheesy line, because, oh, there's the, the part of the major plot points is the map that no man can read. Well, of course, you knew the line was coming. Well, thankfully, I'm not a man. I'm sorry. Are we stealing from Lord of the Rings where it actually worked? Mm. Uh, because there was some magic actually involved in that when you get into the, bo- the books, but we won't, you know, we're not talking Lord of the Rings. But that, overly predictable, and I rolled my eyes again at that. Now, here's the thing. This map no man can read turns out to be the stars. And anytime she brings it up and says, well, there's the map on the stars, and she says this to pirates, sailors, who are supposed to be able to navigate by the stars, but they have no idea what she's talking about. And like, what? You're navigating by the stars? It's foreign to them. And they don't even understand how to navigate during the day because there's no stars. Sailors should know how to do this. Why is it they don't know what she's talking about? 
It's stupid. Again, I rolled my eyes because she's talking to pirates, sailors who sail more than she does. She's got some experience sailing, but they should have more experience and should not be completely confused by her saying that. Now, it was funny when she would mention a scientific term, stuff like horology or whatever, that they misunderstand that. That's funny and that makes sense because they're but pirates, that's the, not scientists. That's, it's the crew that, yes. uh, that are not the ones that are necessarily directing this. We weren't talking to a navigator. We weren't talking to a captain. These are just Jack the Sparrow was file. right there. Jack Sparrow should know this. We already know At he's least. not a very good captain. Well, he's not. But, no. but no, a whole had... ship full of pirates, sailors who don't know to navigate by the stars. I can't believe that. I don't. Sorry, that irritated me. It was so stupid. There's so many. See, that's the thing. I had a hard time enjoying the movie because, and I'm not done. I still got a long list. The other thing that popped up is because I guess because we're empowering women, an empowered woman apparently doesn't have to apologize. So there's a thing where her and and and, and Henry, who Henry is the son of of Will and and uh, uh, Elizabeth Swan mm-hmm. Turner. Yeah. They never don't call her Elizabeth Turner. They did get married at the last movie. I mean, for crying out loud. But anyways, yeah. whatever. Uh, but she has clearly done wrong for him, you know, and it does it twice over, and knows that she should owe an apology. But she's like. She barely can admit she's wrong, and she doesn't ever apologize. He, he apologizes to her, but she never has apologized. That kind of bothered me. Well, I And think, I, maybe I'm nitpicking on that one, but I was like, really? Come on. I, I don't know if it was so much of a woman versus guy thing as it was. She is the scientist, and she believes so, so, scientists much, don't apologize. so much in her own like navigation and calculation. She has a hard time admitting that she was wrong because she. Yeah. I think that's the way they were trying to go for it. However, I can really see where it kind of does smack of a, like, oh, I don't really need to apologize. Yeah, because that, that first time it came up, she kind of said, oh, well, I suppose I owe you, but I'm not going to apologize. Is kind of how it came across that first time it happened. And then when it came the second time, I was already, has she grown a little as a character? No. Well, the end, when so, they when they do have that discussion again, there's kind of a smile. Like, well, I may have slightly like, miscalculated. Like, they, everybody uh, knows that she was wrong, and they're just kind of making fun of the fact that she, at the beginning, because they were talking about, you know, myths versus science, yeah. she was staunchly, no, there's no such thing, and he was very staunchly, like, yes, there is such a thing, and so I think it's just kind of a... A joke. Yeah, trying it, to be a joke. But it didn't work. It didn't trying work. Trying to be a joke on it. Here's another thing. This might be a little spoiler, so I'm going to touch it lightly. Every curse across the seas at the end of the movie has has been lifted. Now, we have Captain Salazar. Wonderful character. So cool. Love the actor. Um, when we see what happened to their characters, their ship basically gets wrecked and, and destroyed inside this cave. Mm-hmm. Basically, it looks like they all should have just died. Mm-hmm. Now, somehow or another, they are ghosts, but it seems as they're part of a curse. Because the curse apparently lifts from them. Now, when the curse lifts, they all just turn into a regular human. My thought would be, if the curse is lifted, they should all just be dead. Well, they died horribly in there. So they they never explained this curse that they're supposed to be under. How did they actually get cursed and not just die? The only thing I can think of is the area in which they they actually run aground on the rock and they die and all this kind of but stuff. We like see that all these spiky rocks, the, plenty to run aground to destroy your ship and it like, causes explosions and. Well, it's like the Devil's Triangle, and they never really explain why is the area cursed. Yeah. It's just that it seems to be cursed. But it seems like the reason why you wouldn't want to go through the caves is because your ship's going to get wrecked because of rock formations on the inside. That seemed to be the entire explanation for this Devil's Triangle. That, that's all that they presented. I yeah, wish they, they should have, have explained gone into more detail. Otherwise, I roll my again so uh final thing i have on the list uh there is an an extra scene at the end where we get to see davy jones and i'm not going to say any more about that but if the curses are lifted from the sea and davy jones is somehow another going to be back he should be lifted from his curse and be human again as well and clearly we see that that didn't happen 
So that's another thing. I was like, really? So plenty of things that I'm disappointed in. Was it fun, though? Yes. I like the ending. Yeah. the Well, there is some, there at least one good thing that happens in the ending. Which, I can think of two good things that happen at the ending. Well, but, you know, I don't want to say anything. No, I'm trying to stop it, you. I don't want to spoil it, but it's... It, but there's some stuff in the ending that was you know, like, yay, okay. I kind of cried a little bit. Well, of course, and that's you. But, oh my goodness, I was really disappointed that we spent that much money to see it in 3D. Although, like, I still love Jeffrey Rush and Javier Bardem. They were fantastic, especially they had a lot of scenes together. I, I like Jeffrey Rush. I really think, for me anyway, is kind of the big star of this whole thing because there's a lot of the plot that revolves around him yeah. without you really knowing it until they kind of reveal some stuff. And I kind of felt like some of the the results, fates of certain people should have been switched. Like his, I think, should have been switched yeah, maybe they, with Sparrows a little they, bit. They did something that really seemed unnecessary, especially considering Salazar should have just been dead again with the curse lifted from him. So well, that's what causes something that we don't like. I may I may not remember every movie because, honestly, the, the two and the three, I, I've kind of repressed yeah. those memories. And two, two was but, the worst to me because... And, Probably because Barbosa's not in it. Um, well, and that kind of goes back to Barbosa. Like at the end of the first one, he gets stabbed, right? He dies. Yeah, I mean, he's that's, supposed that's, to be dead, and they okay. find a way for him to come and back. And so he comes back. And so that's where I kind of am at a question when we first come in, because I've kind of forgotten the other one. was yeah. like, he's dead? Like, he's supposed to be Well, dead. the only explanation but, you get is the, is the voodoo priestess, whatever, there in the second mm-hmm. movie. And you kind of see that she's she's been keeping somebody in the back, that she's brought somebody back, but he hasn't fully revived. So, like, the end of the movie, you just see him come out with an apple. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, the coolest part of the second movie, because the rest of the second movie... That's Captain Jack Sparrow basically betraying everybody through the entire movie. Then at the end, they're like, oh, we've got to go save Jack because he's going to die or he's dying. We need to go to the ends of the earth now to save Captain Jack. I'm like, really? He's double crushed the entire movie. I would say let him rot. But well, yeah, I don't know. But that's a whole other movie. This I can say that I'm not really pleased with the movies overall. I've liked the first one. I like the fourth one. This one, I just like a couple of the characters. So, but. just one thing about Jack Sparrow, I guess, on this one. Um, he, in the other movies, he seemed very, like, a, a integral part of the of the plot. This one, he just kind of seems to be along for the ride. You know, there's really not much other than everybody's looking for Jack Sparrow, as they always are in all of these, yeah. for some reason. Well, that's kind of his character. He's, he was, he was he not really, the main character, even of the first film. Well, I realized that, but he had he more to really do <laughs> with the actions and things that are going around. He just kind of seems drug along for the ride on this one. Well, no, but they needed him because he's got the compass. Of course, he, you know, I don't want to say anything more about the compass because that's a, a story. That point. was something else they didn't but him, with the him, compass. That, did uh, they ever explain where he got the? Well, no, I guess they did show where he got the compass from. Yeah, because the other, his previous captain gave it to him. I mean, yeah. he passed it on the captainship of the ship, which I. But uh, there's something about the compass that. that never got resolved, and I didn't. And well, the, the compass always points to where it is that you need to go, which is why that's the only way he could find what he was looking for in the second one. Which they didn't get into in the first one. He has the compass really in the first one, but they never get into it till the second movie. Then they kind of get into his special compass. So, but that's our thoughts, really. I, I need to wrap this up. <laughs> You so vented for a long time oh, there. But, oh, it was so frustrating to me, some of that stuff. Uh, and, and real, cause, otherwise, I would have had a great time. I mean, I did have fun with it. It was fun. And it, it, has it, some was good, fun. it has its good points, but just eye-rollingly stupid things they did that I was just like, who wrote this garbage? So, But anyway, so that's Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And you know what? If they're going to add movie characters into the ride, 
put Salazar in there and actually get something that looks like Javier Bardem and get him to and voice Barbosa's it. in there, isn't he? Yeah, put Barbosa, okay. Barbosa is in a Good. perfect position. He's the pirate shooting on the fort now. Captain Jack Sparrow is everywhere in the ride, and he does, he should have only been in one scene, in my opinion, just like Barbosa's has one good spot, and it was a great place to put him. Uh, Pavano would put Captain Salazar in there just to make a little scary part would be pretty cool. So, well, I haven't heard that they're going to do anything like that, but I, w- I would be all for it because that would be pretty cool. So, anyways, <laughs> we better wrap this uh, this little bit up. Uh, we may have a problem here. Uh, well, you know what? Everybody's going to have fun at the party anyway, but, you know, that gives me an idea because, you know, I love Star Wars too. And wow, to think Star Wars is 40 years on nearly the exact same day that I hit 40. You know, I, one of the best things about my one trip to the Walt Disney World Resort was getting a chance to ride the original Star Tours. I think it'd be kind of fun actually to dive in you know, and maybe start a whole series of these and talk about some of those forgotten favorites that maybe we got a chance to experience and maybe we didn't. But uh, I'd like to kick this off because it seems to be appropriate. Let's talk a little bit about Star Tours. Hey, perfect because, you know, yeah, we're talking about 40th anniversaries. This year's the 30th anniversary of Star Tours. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah. Most definitely. <laughs> think about it from from doing all of our research that we've just done in the last five minutes, because we weren't planning to do this at all. Uh, <laughs> another thing about it is, yeah, the year it opened, 1987. Yeah. Wow. But before yeah. we get to its opening, we should probably back up and talk about how some of these concepts came around. Well, yeah, um, I know Tony Baxter has spoken. You know, Tony Baxter is one of the uh, you know second generation of Imagineers, uh, and he spoke about a need for you know finding some way to incorporate technology or new technology into rides. I know that uh, Mark Davis, for example, had been looking into creating a simulator ride. Uh, for a Western experience of actually galloping on horses alongside with some sort of ejection in front of you as you're galloping along. But uh, Tony Baxter, you know, got a good look at some of the motion simulators that the Air Force was using to help train pilots, and he saw some potential in that because it was all computer programmed. Uh, things could be changed as needed to accommodate whatever the trainers felt that the pilots needed to know, and it was a perfectly safe alternative uh, to, well, t- test piloting an aircraft and uh, maybe not coming back from it. <laughs> or, you know, maybe having an alien uh, crash in there and give you in a green ring. Oh, wait a minute, wrong, wrong universe. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Some of you but, got uh, that joke, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and brightest day and blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight, but uh, but uh, apparently, uh, um, yeah, I digress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you know, part part of the problem was, you know, Disney, you know, just didn't want to, you know, fly around in an airplane with the simulator. You got to have something to attach it to, and you know what? They thought that they had the best 
possibility. It was 1979. You had this wonderful space epic already out there capturing the imagination of people all around the world, and somehow people weren't interested in the black hole. Uh, yeah, apparently didn't do as well as they expected. No, and even the... At the time, Disney was looking to replace the journey through inner space attraction. One of my favorites from being a kid. I'm glad they didn't replace it at that time or else I wouldn't have known it. But um, they, they decided not to go with the black hole concept at that time because the cost was $50 million then and considered a bit too much for what Disney could afford at the time. Yeah, especially considering that uh, the property of the black hole was not going to be as lucrative as they had expected, unfortunately. Despite the fact that I had bed sheets at the black hole when I was little. <laughs> hey, you too? Yeah. Although I had not seen the movie, but I had bed sheets. I remember, and it had Vincent and uh, the busted mm-hmm. up droid. I can't remember his name. And the scary big red droid. Of course, I guess they were robots. Yeah, Maximilian. I guess they yeah. were robots, not droids. This isn't Star Wars. But right. <laughs> it wasn't until much later I, I saw the movie, and I, I only vaguely remember some of the plot points of it. But I, I've heard tell of maybe them trying to remake it, and maybe be maybe they could do a better job this time. It's not a bad movie. It's just very different, I guess, for what people expected out of Disney. So. It was a lot more 2001 than Star Wars. Very true. Very true. But you know what? Uh... Uh, Michael Eisner really still wanted to vitalize the park because some people on the run to the, you know, teenage age and everything kind of thought the Disney parks were boring. And so he really thought he needed to vitalize, revitalize some things. And he was still mm-hmm. looking at Journey Through Inner Space to take that out because I guess some people found that boring. When I hear the audio, it sounds exciting and cool. I never got to write it. I would like to check it out. Uh, we'll have oh, to I'll, talk about I'll that tell, at some point later. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there were people, you know, in absolute shock when that ride ended up closing. But before it closed, um, there were a few other cogs that uh, had to take place. Yeah, and 1986 was the opening of Captain EO, which was the very first time that you had a collaboration between Disney and George Lucas, because George Lucas did write it, and then Francis Ford Coppola directed it, and of course it starred the phenomenal Michael Jackson. Oh, and Angelica Houston. I mean, no slash there. We got an Oscar winner. So Captain EO Terry Harden. Oh, well, there Don't you go. Terry Harden. That's right, because she had a part in there. She was one of the uh, creatures in there, wasn't she? She was one of the creatures. She uh, designed costumes, and she even stood in for uh, the Wicked Queen. Yes, because uh, there was something. In Houston didn't want to. Yeah, there was something where, like up at high heights or something like that that Terry's got the guts yeah. to do, because Terry's awesome. <laughs> so we ought to have her on the show one of these days. Oh, I sure hope so. Yeah, because she's she's really cool anytime I've heard her before. But So, yeah, you got this great project. And if Michael Jackson can't draw in the teenagers, I don't know who could at the time. So that seemed like Jam. a... Who? What? Jam on. Oh, Jam on. Yeah, we neither one of us <laughs> do a very good Michael Jackson, do we? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, definitely a big draw. But now you've got, you know, I'm sure at this time they're kind of noticing, hey, George Lucas says that he's a big Disney fan and... Hmm, I wonder if there's something in it if we work with George Lucas again. Well, you know George Lucas went to Disneyland the second day that it was open. Wow. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, so his his background with Disney went quite a ways back. Um, but as Tony Baxter's described it, uh, you know, in the mid-80s, Disney's properties, you know, such as... Uh, 
the black hole and even Tron weren't quite as popular or as successful as they had hoped, so they began looking to see what the new mythologies of that time were. They happened to be Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, etc. And so they went, reached out to George Lucas to uh, see what he thought about it, see if it would be something that he would be interested in uh, doing, and he agreed. In fact, uh, with his approval, they, Disney went ahead and purchased four military-grade flight simulators at a cost of $50,000 each. Now, these were some pretty heavy-duty things. These They are hydraulic, motion-based cabins, but they have six degrees of freedom. Basically, that's that's movement. They can go in six different directions, which includes mm-hmm. the ability to move 35 degrees in the X, Y, and Z plane. The simulator is patented by as Advanced Technology Leisure Application Simulator, also known as Atlas, and it was originally designed by Ready Fusion Simulation in Sussex, England, which is now owned by... Thales, or Tails, uh, it's T-H-A-L-E-S, Training and Simulation, which was formerly Thompson CSF. The Ready Fusion Leisure Simulator was originally developed for a much simpler show in Canada called The Tour of the Universe, which sounds pretty cool, uh, where it featured a single entrance exit door at the rear of the cabin and a video projector. And the film is front projected onto the screen from a 70 millimeter film projector located beneath the cockpit barrier. And so the Disneyland has four of these... And mm-hmm. while the shows in Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and Walt Disney World Hollywood Studio each have six motion bases. So you don't have to wait as long. Right. <laughs> now, uh, you know, to make this work, though, Lucas and his team at Industrial Light and Magic had to set about making a 3D first-person perspective film for the attraction. Uh, this was quite a challenge because when you're making a movie, you just need as much uh, of a visual field as there is just for that shot. But coming from a first-person attraction, you've got to build a whole lot more than what you need for just one shot because everything is one shot. From the moment that the ride begins to the moment it ends, it's a single shot all the way through. So uh, again, it was kind of a challenge to come up, well, where are we gonna make the cuts? How are we gonna make the cuts? And at what point and how much do we build to accommodate those cuts? So there's a lot, uh, it was a much different way of thinking when it came to putting this film together. Yeah, and uh, originally they had a 20-minute film that they wanted to show, which I, I think you'd get motion sick of 20 minutes on that thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It would be awesome, but yeah, that's that's quite a long time for that kind of a ride. Yeah, so they really had to cut it down, and uh, there was a cut that went three minutes, and they thought, you know what, let's go four minutes. That way everybody who rides it feels like they got their, their time's worth. Right. <laughs> Which I found to be very amusing. <laughs> it's like, four, three minutes, not quite enough, but four minutes, four minutes, definitely you feel like you've gotten enough Star Wars. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but, uh, you know... The, the classic attraction, it starts you off in the Star Tours base. You end up uh, getting uh, redirected through an asteroid field. And then you end up, instead of going to the indoor moon, you end up in a battle over a Death Star. Don't know which one it is, but uh, you end up there. The original plan, though, was to change out that film every 
once in a while so that you would get different experiences. Which I suspect... It should be nice if they came up with something like that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect some of the idea might have been previewed there in the queue line because you had, you know, talking of visiting Hoth, visiting Tatooine, and things like that. So that might have been mm-hmm. what some of the plans would be is, you know, all the worlds we'd be familiar with from the Star Wars trilogy, maybe getting an opportunity to attempt to fly there. Uh, don't know if we ever would have actually made it there because, <laughs> well, it's a Disney ride, which means everything starts out okay and then something goes horribly wrong halfway through. Otherwise, you really don't get a good story. <laughs> yeah, I, I once heard that, uh, you know, the cartoon show Futurama. Mm-hmm. There were plans for a Futurama ride. Not that they were ever going to be produced or made, but the, the team came up with a design in which nothing went wrong. <laughs> and, you know, it was written into the storyline. This is so boring. Nothing happened. Everything went right. Yeah. But what have you? I'm, I'm digressing. <laughs> Attraction cost $32 million to complete, which was actually twice the cost of even building Disneyland. But, you know, you got to consider, yes. you know, inflation. It was like 20 years, well, 30 years later, really, uh, when this is kind of coming in. So, and that actually is more than the original budget. The original budget was like $28 million, but uh, some extra features and, you know, some extra bits of art design and stuff, you know, kind of ran up that extra four million dollars but it was totally worth the price because uh and i disneyland uh it seems like you're it's mainly like a base and it's very cool looking on the outside the exterior there's a really cool kind of mural uh that has uh, a bunch of the shuttles and you can see a death star in there uh very 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 cool uh but i personally i like the walt walt disney world better uh in the mgm studios park as as it were when it was being built in where you have a big ad hat there standing over there and Mm -hmm. it it actually does simulate the indoor moon it had uh i can't remember what the original shop was but i guess it was supposed to be like an indoor when i was there it was already turned into the tatooine traders which was really cool i got a kick out of it but uh, there wasn't a a different shop there before now i forgot what it was but before all of that it did open in disneyland january 9th 1987 to a marathon of guests coming in some of them were in costume it was open from 10 a.m on the 9th of january until january the 11th at 11 p.m. So it wasn't just a 24-hour party. It would be 60 hours because you consider January 9th, 10 a.m. So you've got all through the 9th, all through the 10th, and then late night on the 11th. So you've got like nearly three days. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. 60 hours that they just kept things going, kept the park open just so they could run this thing. And I, you know, such a great idea, really, because I've seen some video now of the opening day where they had a very different voice for Mickey, but Mickey coming out with C-3PO. I mean, this was an extravaganza event. This was huge. I would love to have been there. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would have oh, stuck man. around all they 60 hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll sleep somewhere on a park bench. I don't care. You know? <laughs> Stay there until they kick me out. I would have mm-hmm. it a bunch of times. That would have been awesome just to be there. Of course, uh, considering 1987, I would have been 10 years old at the time, so they wouldn't kick out a 10-year-old out of the park, would they? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Well, of course, now the original ride it consists of passengers that are boarding a shuttle bound for Andor, like you said, with RX-24, mm-hmm. also known as Captain Rex, who is voiced by Paul Rubens, who is making his piloting debut. 
his first flight. Yeah. <laughs> he was still getting used to his programming. Yeah. And uh, you get some rather adventurous results because he can't find the brakes. He goes the wrong way. He goes right at He overshoots the planet, blames it on R2-D2 a little bit, and winds up in a field of comets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which are well, really cool. I mean, the ice crystals. All, I mean, oh yeah, great effect. It's, and it's something we hadn't seen before in Star Wars. We'd seen asteroids, but comets was a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and and to think you had the uh, asteroid score from Empire Strikes Back through that entire section. Oh yes. Dun 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 dun. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Well, because as George Lucas would say, the oxygen of Star Wars is John Williams' music. So you cannot build an attraction based on Star Wars without John Williams' score in there. It just makes gives it that. Definitely not. Especially even to have that dramatic build up, even to go to hyperspace was all John Williams. Mm -hmm. And that classic music from the Death Star run, which I that to me. That, to me, was the highlight of the one time I've gotten to ride it. Go Doing the Death Star Trench Run. Uh, I mean, I back when I first saw the film, I mean, it was like, it was 80 or 81. It was on HBO. I was three or four when I first saw it. That trench run just captivated my imagination. Uh, I, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, that was like the coolest thing ever to me. And it, it seems like a simple thing, but I absolutely loved the trench. I, I was like everybody other out, a child where I thought that middle... Um, equator line around the Death Star. I thought that must have been the trench, which we've learned later. No, that's not the trench. (laughs) Well, that's what I assumed it was, that they were flying around the equator of the Death Star and stuff. You know what? Oh, that just blew my little four-year-old mind. And so getting to do that... Oh, I think that's why I love the Star Wars arcade game so much. Getting to do that trench run just Mm -hmm. just, Mm -hmm. boggles the imagination. It was so cool. I'll tell you, Captain Rex had it right. Yes. I've always wanted to do this. Yes. When he says that, I'm like, me too. Go for it, Rex. You know, what kind of weapons mm-hmm. we got on this thing? Let's use them. Come on. Oh, such <laughs> such wondrous, well, wondrous one adventure. Well, you do know why Rex was uh, still getting used to his programming, though. Well, you know, if, when you go through the queue line, there is a lot of, uh, there's some droids that are not quite doing their job, and they keep getting a memory of reprogramming going on. So I wonder if Rex was a victim well, of that. There- Oh, there, there, there was that, but uh, in this particular case, if you took a closer look at Rex, he had a little red tag sticking out of him that says, Remove Before Flight. <laughs> I never got close enough to Rex to take a look at that. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, that he, he, he had, had that on there. And you know what? Rex lives on in uh, the current iteration of Star Tours. Uh, he is in the uh, queue. Uh, so this is Rex being shipped and delivered to the Star Tours uh, bay with uh, some of the same phrases that were in the original ride. That is very, very cool. Oh, yes. But yeah, I so Rex is still there and he does occasionally come to slow. life. And it does yep. say some lines. And, so that's you know, cool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, neat little side. When Paul Rubens was approached uh, for the ride, he asked, he asked not that he be paid, but that he be given a free entry to Disneyland as long as his voice was used in the ride. <laughs> so they found a way to keep the voice in there so he can still come to Disneyland when he wants to. Exactly. Awesome. Oh, I, I think we have some guests coming. Hang on. Oh, Dale Wentland from Network 1901. Welcome. Hey, Jeremy. When does my panel start? Your what? 
I'm all set to discuss the new Star Wars theory that Rey is actually related to one of Amidala's bodyguards. Wow, I, uh, uh, well, you know what, just come on in and have some punch or some cereal or something, just, uh, just, yeah, well, I'll be glad to talk about it with you later. Why, it's Tim and Gary from Saturday Morning Rewind. Wow, it's been a while, guys. Great idea for a party, Jeremy. Yeah, since you didn't get to go to Star Wars Celebration Orlando, this is a great way to celebrate 40 years of Star Wars. <laughs> well, actually, I... I'm having a meetup at D23 this year, and I'm really excited to hand out some pins. Are you coming? Oh, I really wish I could, but it, I just don't think it's in the cards this year. Hey, look. G.I. Joe is showing on a huge screen over there. <sighs> Sorry I'm late. I know that voice. It's Trenton Larkin from Who Did That Voice? You're right on time. Not late at all. It's good to see you. Oh, good. I'm so excited to celebrate 40 years of Star Wars. Looks like everyone else is excited for Star Wars, too. Aww. I really should have been more specific on those invitations. <sighs> well, you know what we you need know? to do? What's that? You know, we've got our virtual Disney park here in Neverland that we can ride anything we want from any era. I think mm -hmm. we need to take a little trip. Ooh, to Endor? Well, if we can get there on time. Let's go check it out. <laughs> All right. Let's take a ride at a Disney park. Let's take a ride right now. Oh, oh. Attention, please. All droids leaving the system must be cleared by customs control. Proof of ownership is required for all droid passengers. Proof of ownership? We droids are made to suffer such indignities. Kuchana Kuchana, Yoda Yab Yab Hadaway Judo, Ikik Pigig Endor, Judo Ikik Pigig Gupta Toto Achipig, Marichin Yachi Kunda. What is it now, R2? Don't get technical with me, what pressure? The fuel pressure? Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? Let me check. Yes, I am getting a rather high reading here. Oh, yes, Otto, I'm shutting off the main line right now! Just to get back to fixing that motivator. These new transports are impossible. Star Tours introduces the perfect getaway vacation with exclusive tour packages to Hoth. Now you can see the most incredible slopes in the galaxy, or if you prefer, explore beautiful and mysterious ice caverns and the famed echo base of the Rebellion forces. And while you're there, be sure to enjoy an exhilarating ride on a Tauntaun. It's all on Hoth, and it all begins soon, only from Star Tours. Watch for details. Well, you'll never get me to go back to that iceberg. I don't care how safe it is now, R2. Gives my motivators the chills just thinking about it. I'd rather be sent to the Spice Mines of Kessel than go back to Hop. Hey, you droids on Transport 22, get back to work. Now see what you've done. We'll lose our jobs for sure. Don't insult me, you overblown scrap pile. At least I'm doing my job. Yes, I am. So just you get back to fixing that hyperdrive motivator. 
Will the owner of a red and black land speeder vehicle ID THX1138 please return to your craft? You are parked in a no-hover area. All passengers who wish to exchange currency prior to their departure are invited to visit the exchange office. Open daily during regular flight hours. There has been a gate change for Star Tours Flight 114, Star Speeder Service to Endor. Flight 114 will now be departing from gate number two. This is a gate change only. Thank you. I do wish I could go with you to Endor. On second thought, I just remembered how much I hate space travel. You have a nice trip, though, Artu. Attention, please. Star Tours Flight 1119, non-stop service to Endor, is now ready for boarding at gate number one. All passengers, please proceed to the boarding area immediately. Kurchana, Kurchana, Haraway Chudo, Ike Quikik, Endor, Gupta, Toko, Achibik, Katera, Nugi, Bashi, Bashi. R2-D2, just what do you think you're doing? Get back to work before they deactivate you. Yes, I think they would. And hurry up, they'll be needing this transport any moment now. No, I don't feel sorry for you at all. Well, how should I know what's wrong with a ship? I am an interpreter, not an astromech. However, you might just check the logic circuits. Sometimes I think these new transports have a mind of their own. Your attention, please. All interplanetary travelers must have a current passport and the necessary visas prior to leaving the spaceport. Passengers requiring assistance should visit the nearest information kiosk. Thank you. Star Tours is now offering convenient daily departures to the exotic moon of Endor. Come spend an afternoon or the entire day with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. It's a fun-filled visit that you and your family will remember forever. Just ask for the Endor Express, available only from Star Tours. Non-stop flights leave every few minutes, so don't delay. Visit Endor today. Have certainly changed since we were last there. I thought we were doomed for sure. But we did survive. Somehow. Thank you, R2. I don't know what I'd do without you either. Star Tours Flight 55 is now ready for boarding at gate number three. At this time, we'd like to board those passengers with droids or anyone requiring special assistance. Thank you. Transport 22, prepare for elevation to passenger boarding level. Oh, that's us, R2. Stand by for final systems check. Forward lights. Check. Deflector shield. Check. Laser cannons. Check. I, I said check, R2. Shut them down before you blow up the whole place. Sometimes, R2, I can't understand your logic at all. No, not at all. We'd like to continue the boarding of Flight 55 to Endor. All passengers holding confirmed tickets may board at this time through gate number three. Thank you. 
Star Tours is proud to introduce the Star Speeder 3000, the most advanced transport of its kind in existence. With high-speed warp drive and a travel range of over 1 billion light years, the 3000 makes touring the galaxy safe and comfortable. And all our Star Speeders are piloted by the newest, most reliable RX droids, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy the sights. Whenever your plans call for intergalactic travel, call on the best Star Tours. If this transport is the best, then why are we always repairing it? What do you mean you are doing all the work, you ungrateful little twit? I've just about had enough of you. Why, you wouldn't even have this job if it weren't for me. No, you wouldn't, so you might just show a little gratitude. You're welcome. Now get back to work. Departing Endor passenger, Sakul. Mr. Igroj Sakul, please see the Star Tours agent at gate number three. Mr. Morrow, Mr. Tom Morrow, please check with the Star Tours agent at gate number four. Yes, I know exactly what I'm doing. Don't you worry about me. Uh, Transport 22, I'm getting a critical reading on your laser cannon. Shut down immediately. Oh, oh no! Oh, what have I done? We're doomed! Deactivate the cannon service! Oh, we'll disconnect the wall! Oh, thanks for making Your attention, please, for the following gate announcements. Flight 704, local service to Endor, will now depart through gate number 4. Flight 1082, the Endor Express, will now depart through gate number 1. These are gate changes only. Thank you. Star Tours announces another of our exciting action-adventure tours. Join us on the trek to Tatooine. Start your visit with a trip to the Galactic Zoo, then race over to the Moss Eisley Cantina for cocktails with the galaxy's most outrageous characters. If adventure is your middle name, this is the tour for you. The trek to Tatooine. Star Speeder service begins soon. Reservations are limited, so call your travel agent or Star Tours today. Well, that's one tour they can keep. I have no intention of getting another case of dust contamination. I totally agree, Artu. Besides, I'm perfectly content right here with you. So long as you don't mess things up. Watch your language, Artu. And check the laser cannons. Who knows what space debris you'll run into. All right, Artu, I'm getting a full power reading. Now shut down the system before it discharges. Kuchana Kuchana, Churabi Quad, Mando Bonoto Archiquad, Hotogorchita Bodoga, Ewe Star Tours is now offering convenient daily departures to the exotic moon of Endor. Come spend an afternoon or the entire day with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. It's a fun-filled visit that you and your family will remember forever. Just ask for the Endor Express, available only from Star Tours. Non-stop flights leave every few minutes, so don't delay. Visit Endor today. I really don't understand why they're not sending me on the Endor tour. After all, I am something of a legend with the Ewoks. What with my magic and all. Well, the Ewoks thought it was mine. Besides, 
but I could be of great assistance as an interpreter. Sky Tours announces the cancellation of Flight 124. Any passengers holding confirmed tickets for Flight 124 should check with the nearest Star Tours agent. Monitor circuits continue to detect a decrease in production activities in Droid Sector 2. Shutdown procedures will begin in 60 seconds unless output increases immediately. Hey, excuse me, please, but you'll have to check that excess baggage. Huh? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, I didn't realize that was your husband. <laughs> sorry, Chief. My senses were out of focus there for a second. Hiya, folks. I'm G214. I run this operation. Now, if there's anything I can help you with... Hey, you over there. I'm talking to you. Could you creatures please give me your undivided attention for a moment? Thank you. Now, some of you are probably wondering how many passengers are flying with Star Tours today. Well, let me see. Uh, there's one, two, three, four... Uh, do you want me to include you? Okay. Five, six, uh, uh, stop back and check with me later. This could take a while. Uh, seven, eight, nine, in sector ten. Two. Malfunction in Sector 2. All droids will be shut down for reloading of labor programs. Stand by for power disconnect. <laughs> well, it's break time. Wait, 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 I didn't mean that literally. Star Tours announces the arrival of the Endor Express. Once we've had a chance to service the Star Speeder, we'll begin our boarding procedures. Thank you. May I have your attention, please? At this time, I'd like to take a moment to review our boarding process with you. When the automatic doors have opened, please proceed directly across the ramp into the cabin. Continue to move all the way across your aisle, filling in every available seat. For your safety, all passengers are required to wear safety restraints throughout the flight. To fasten the restraint, pull the strap out from the right side of the seat and snap it into the console on your left. Galactic regulations require that all carry-on items be safely stowed beneath your seat. While on board, flash photography is not permitted. And please... No smoking at any time. If you have any questions, feel free to ask an attendant. You'll be boarding in just a few moments. Thank you, and have a pleasant tour. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. Welcome aboard. This is Captain Rex from the cockpit. I know this is probably your first flight, and it's... Mine, too. <laughs> well, it looks like we're going to have a smooth flight to Endor, so I'll go ahead and open the cockpit shield. Hi there! I see they're loading our navigator R2-D2, and then we'll be on our way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Star Tours 45, elevator platform has been activated. final three Roger, Control. All status, go! Contact departure control at 120.4. Copy 120.4. 45, you're going the wrong way. Stop. Hello? Wrong way. Brakes. Brakes. Where are the brakes? 
Jeremy, Paul here from the Window to the Magic podcast, and I just wanted to send you a quick message and wish you a happy 40th. I remember my 40th like it was 11 years ago. Eh, That's because it was. I'm old. Anyway, you'll be old soon, too. Get used to it. I hope that you really enjoy your time and uh, that it is absolutely happy from 12 midnight to 12 midnight. But the rest of the day, no, I'm kidding. I hope that you have a very, very happy birthday. Happy birthday, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Happy Happy birthday, birthday, Jeremy. Jeremy. 
Jeremy, happy birthday. How was this for a birthday surprise? Oh, it was wonderful. And getting to celebrate Star Wars on my birthday is Oh, a heck of a lot of fun. And getting to celebrate with all my friends here at Neverland and all of you listening. Yes, you. I'm talking right to you with your earbuds in or listening to your car stereo. I appreciate you being along with us to listen in and enjoying the Star Wars of and also 40 years of my life and, you know, everything. It's just been great. This has been, you know, the, probably some of the most fun I've had uh, being, you know, my age is getting to come to Neverland and act like a kid and not act my age at all over these last few years. Uh, it's been wonderful. And we're actually coming up on 200 episodes very soon. Uh, it's been a wonderful experience. So I might be. 40, but I don't feel 40 <laughs> at all. Uh, so y'all make me feel like a kid again getting to produce this show, and I just love everybody. It's been great. And uh, we, I'm, I'm going to just babble on here, so we might as well close this out <laughs> before, before I, I, I gush. So, <laughs> so we'll see y'all next week, right? We will. Thank you for bringing us here today, Jeremy. Happy birthday, and happy birthday, Star Wars. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash Neverland Podcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at YeehawBob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we 